0: Welcome to CT Church. This message was recorded during our Sunday service. We hope you enjoy this presentation. Thank you for coming to church on a Saturday—excuse me, Sunday night—and making God a priority in your life. I believe because you have honored God by coming to His house on a Sunday night. I know the culture doesn't do many of these anymore, but. Because you have honored God on a Sunday night and come to his house, he will pour his favor on you, and your work week will be so much better, and your school week will be so much better because you chose to honor God. If you believe that, can you just clap your hands and give the Lord praise? Yeah, we honor you, Lord. We honor you. Get your Bible and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 1 through 5, I want to speak to you on last day lovers. Last day's lovers. And no, we're not speaking about a Motown song. I know it sounds like a Motown song, but uh, no, it's not an R&B song. Last day lovers. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. In fact, I want you to read with me and, and, and read it out loud, if you would, and let's fill the atmosphere with God's word. Ready? Ready, read, but realize this, that in the last days difficult times will come, for men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power, avoid such men as these. Well, despite many technological advancements, my friends, the culture in the 21st century has entered some pretty dark waters. I mean, just listen to the headlines. The chaos of unthinkable criminal activity. The political cesspool all around us in Washington and in many states in our nation. How about the looting in our streets? I, like you, was blown away to see people literally looting, and there was a guy with a washing machine that he just walking down the street. I thought, my Lord, if that's not the most brazen thing I've ever seen, looting in our streets. How about the confusion of the gender roles and then forcing it on our children? The fear of the COVID-19 virus and possibly another shutdown. And because of that shutdown, the last one we had, the opioid abuse is rising. They don't like to talk about that. You'll never hear the media discuss that. But the opioid use that is rising, and along with that opioid abuse, is spousal abuse. The divorce rate is soaring because of the last shutdown. Child abuse, suicide. They tell us now that suicide is really doubled since May or March of this last year when the pandemic started to the shutdown. People are living in chaos and in fear. And every day we hear about another political scandal or another natural disaster, hurricanes, earthquakes, wildfires in Southern California. And people are wondering, and they'll email the office and they'll say, what in the world is coming next? It's almost as if we're waiting for the last shoe to drop and people are wondering, are we living in the last days? Well, I don't know about you, but I have often heard people recite these verses in church in 2 Timothy and point to the current culture as proof that we are living, as evidence that we are living in the end times. And if you take this list at face value, you would be hard pressed to disagree. I mean, let's go through a list quickly again. It says difficult times. Certainly, many would say we are living in difficult times. How many would say we are living, yes, in difficult times? Lovers of self. Well, people do look out for one the, for, for themselves over everybody else. Uh, if you don't believe me, just think about the, toilet, the great toilet paper run of 2020. Could not believe it. Go to the store, we go to Sam's, or we go to Walmart, and all the toilet paper is gone. I thought, this is the craziest thing I've ever seen. Lovers of money. Well, we are definitely a money-loving society. Boasters, arrogant revelers. Yes, yes, yes. All true of people today. Disobedient to parents. Well, scarily, that's true. Thanks to Dr. Spock for this one. And we're not talking about Captain Kirk's first officer on the USS Enterprise. No, we're talking about the psychologist in the 1960s who did not believe in spanking children, and he led an entire generation away from biblically rearing their children or raising their child with a biblical worldview. He brought a secular worldview in, and the church in the 1960s bought it hook, line, and sinker. And now we have a generation tearing monuments down in the streets as a result of our public school system's teachings. But that's for a whole other subject. And I won't discuss that now, but if you ask me later, I'll tell you everything you want to know. How about ungrateful, unholy, unloving? Yes, yes, and yes. Irreconcilable, malicious gossips, unforgiving? Check, yes. Check, yes. Gossips? we'll check, yes. Without self-control? Absolutely. Brutal haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited? All true. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God? yes. We're living in a day and age that it's all about what makes people feel good, and God has been removed from all areas of life unless they're running for office. Holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. Everyone thinks they're good people and go into heaven, though they want nothing to do with the God who is in heaven. Wow. Well, there you have it, some would say. This is evidence that we're living in the end times. But church, is only one problem. These verses are not speaking about society in general. No, Paul is writing from a dark, cold prison cell. He realizes that his time on earth is drawing to a close, so he's writing his last will and testament, if you will, to his associate pastor, Timothy, who was pastoring the church of Ephesus. And he realizes that He's about to die, and he wants to address a very specific group of people that he loves with all of his heart, because the reality is society has always been like this. All those things we just read, society, since the beginning of time, has always been like this. Let's go through the list again and think of a time that those types of people did not exist in the world. Of course, we see them today, but sure, they were around 2,000 years ago as well. See, these people were, in the, were there when Jesus was dealing with the Pharisees. How about these types of people were there in the times of the Jewish kings and the Jewish judges? These types of people were there when Joseph was thrown into a pit and then sold into slavery to the Ishmaelites. Remember, the Ishmaelites was, were the lineage of Ishmael, who is the son of Abraham and Hagar. He is the offspring of getting ahead of God. He is the one that started the Egyptian race, and Ishmael was not the chosen one of God, yet God used Ishmael as a promise to Abraham. Even though he is not the called one, I'm going to make Ishmael a great race, and out of that great mistake, God raised up a nation, and if it wasn't for the Ishmaelites, Joseph would have never made it to Egypt. So it's amazing how God takes our mistakes. It's amazing how God takes our ashes and brings them to gold. Ashes to gold. But yet, according to this text, these people were alive and well even then. How about these types of people were alive during the time of Noah? So if these people have always been around, Pastor, then why would God give us this passage as a warning sign that we're living in the last days or the last times? Well, it's like they're saying the end times will come about when people are being people. Well, when people are just walking around and being themselves, and walking and talking. So the secular society, or what we categorize as the world, cannot possibly be the ones that Paul is speaking about in the second Timothy. It makes no biblical sense. Paul must have someone else in mind. Friend, God gives us these verses because he is speaking about the condition of the last day's church. He's talking about you and me. God gives us these verses because he wants us to take a A deep, introspective look at our hearts, at ourselves. He wants us to look at the heart of man, the heart of man. Understand that the condition of the heart is what it's all about. The heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. Oh, hear it again. The heart of the matter is the matter of your heart. And immediately when I say this, that God wants us to look deep inside ourselves, there would be some that would say, wait a second, Randy, wait a second. Are you telling me, uh, are you saying that Christians in the last days will be like the people on this list? Are you really telling me that Paul is saying that God has you and I in mind in the last days? Well, sadly, the answer is yes. One of the key signs that we are in the end time is the condition of the church. In our text, Paul gives Timothy and us a dose of reality about the times which we are living in, and he warns us that in the last days, difficult times will come. Now, I want you to pay attention here, because the Greek word for difficult is used only one other time in the New Testament to describe the two violent demoniacs of Gadara. It means harsh, fierce, savage times, demon-possessed times will come in the last days. And when Paul says last days, he's referring to the period of time between Christ's ascension and his second coming. Time simply means seasons or time periods. So the idea is that during the church age, there'll be various times where the church will be under so, an intense scrutiny more times than others, but there are savage times that is coming. And we're dealing with them right now. And as you read through this long list of evil characteristics, it's easy to think of the godless enemies of the faith that never darken the church door. But listen, then you come to verse 5. And verse 5 says that they hold to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. And that's when you realize, good Lord, he's talking about the church. He's describing people who claim to be professing Christians. Some are church leaders. They will teach Bible studies. They're not passive, sit-in-the-pew members, but they're active in ministry. The problem is their walk with God is just an empty shell. They lack the reality of a genuine walk with God who looks on the heart. The heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. Remember, Jesus told the Pharisees, remember Lot's wife. Remember Lot's wife. There are times in Scripture that I wish I could actually have been there when those things took place. Oh, I wish I could have been there in Acts, the second chapter, at the falling of Pentecost, when God gave the Holy Spirit to the church. I, I wish I could have been there in, when I, to see the Red Seas part. I wish I could have been there to watch Jesus feed the 5,000. But when Jesus turned to the Pharisees, after one of the most amazing teachings in biblical history, he then reminds them, remember Lot's wife, and I wish I could have been there to see the look on their face because they understood exactly what he is saying. Understand what Jesus meant. Let me give you a little background to that phrase, remember Lot's wife. Lot was the nephew of Abraham. Because of the blessing that came upon Abraham, because of God's covenant with Abraham, his family was blessed. And his uncle, Uncle Abraham, blessed his nephew Lot. And there was many flocks and many sheep and many goats The problem was there was so many that their paid workers on both sides of the family were arguing over wells, and they're arguing over grazing lands. And so Abraham, being the peacemaker, he tells his nephew, he says, you go one way, I'll go this way. If you choose to go east, I'll go west. If you choose to go north, I'll go south. If you choose the highlands, I'll go to the desert. If you choose the desert, I'll go to the highlands. In other words, Lot, whatever you want, you go ahead and choose, son. But the Bible says that Lot he set his entire, his entire enterprise towards five major cities of metropolitan degrees, two of them, which was Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah at this time was a hotspot for transportation and mercantile, and they were heavy in business and in commerce. They're literally at the crossroads of everything that is happening in the culture. And a young lot, he decides, that's where I want to be. I want to go where it's happening I want to be a dot-commer. I'm going to go there to Wall Street and just shake the world. And the Bible says that he sets his tents towards Sodom, or he pitches tents towards Sodom. And as he's watching Sodom and Gomorrah from a distance, it wasn't very long before his heart and his feet followed his eyes. Listen to me. If you tell me it's only a movie, if you tell me it's only this or only that, I'm going to tell you it's only a matter of time when you set your eyes in a direction that your life will follow in the same direction. It's only a matter of time. And Lot goes to Sodom and Gomorrah. And we never read that Lot was married prior to getting to Sodom and Gomorrah, so we understand that he marries a woman there in that city. He falls in love with the culture. He falls in love with a woman. Listen, I could preach a whole series of messages on how women have more power over a man than God. And if you look at Scripture... Adam and Eve, Lord, it was this woman you gave me, is what Adam said. You look at Abraham and Sarah. You look at David and Bathsheba. You look at Samson and Delilah. Oh, the list goes on and on and he falls in love with a woman of a culture that is not going to be pleasing to God and not put him towards the things of God, and he falls in love with that culture. How do you know he fell in love with the culture, Pastor? Because when the angels came, sent by God to destroy the city, they find Lot sitting at the city gate, which means he's immersed himself in the culture because in that time, the ones who sat at the city gate were the ones with the money. He literally was sitting or running or helped run the industry of Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember, he was a very wealthy young man that came into the city. He plugs in to the merchandise. He's now in the Fortune 500. And he's fallen in love with the culture, and he marries a woman of that culture. And the culture is deep in sin, debauchery. And the Lord says, I'm going to destroy it. And he sends the two angels to get them out, and he finds Lot there. And so he tells Lot, let's go. And they walk all the way across the city, two angels with Lot. The men of Sodom and Gomorrah are so filled with sexual perversion that they're banging on the door of Lot and asking him to send the men out so that we may have our way with them physically. And Lot is so immersed in the culture, he's grown so cold to the things of God that he says, no, no, let me send my virgin daughters out instead. And you can see how it's a gradual sliding away. It's not like Lot woke up one morning and decided, I don't love God anymore. It's not like I don't care for God anymore, Uncle Abraham. Don't worry, I'm fine. Everything is going okay. And he sets his eyes towards an area, thinking he can handle it. And it's only a matter of time that if he's not plugged into the things of God, he'll be sliding away. So are you. His daughters are watching this whole thing, and they're listening. Can you imagine? They must have said, are you really going to send us out there? Are you really? And yet we don't realize how much we are sacrificing our children on the altars of a culture. And so as they're walking out, as the story goes, Lot's wife looks over her shoulder. They're almost out of the city. They are Huge burning boulders of hail falling out of the sky. The city is in destruction. It is burning. And she turns back to look. She's a daughter of Sodom. She loved the culture. And she looked back to look. And God says to her, I'm going to show all the world what I've been looking at the whole time. You see, because Scripture says in 1 Samuel that God looks at the heart of man. He doesn't look at the outward appearance. And the Lord saw a heart of stone in the wife of of Lot, and we just saw the outward appearance, but God sees the heart. The heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. And so God is going to use her now as an illustrated sermon throughout eternity, and she literally turns to a pillar of salt. And don't you know when God turned to the Pharisees, Jesus turns to the Pharisees, remember Lot's wife. He's telling them, I see your outward pious appearance, but I really know what your heart is. And they knew immediately what he meant. They knew exactly what he was talking about. And don't you know, their mouth must have dropped. Because there are people in the last day's church that will be just like this. They lack the reality of a genuine walk with God who looks on the heart. They talk a good line. They put on a good front. But in their motives, their actions, and through their lives, their personal relationships, they are not godly people. Pleasing the Lord is out, and pleasing themselves is in. They live one way at church and another way on the job. One way at church and another way at school. And it's causing great confusion in their children. In the same way that the daughters of Lot were confused. So much so that later on in the story of Lot and his family, they get him drunk one night and they lay with their father and the two daughters get pregnant and one daughter gives gives birth to a son And the other daughter gives birth to a son, and she names one of them, they begin to name out of self is what she calls them. And she calls him Moab. Out of that relationship come the Moabites and the Ammonites. One son is Moab, the other is Amnon, the two greatest enemies of the children of Israel. When you read from Genesis all the way through to the end of the Old Testament, it's the Moabites and the Ammonites that are the greatest enemies of the Israelite people. And yet they were descendants from what should have been the children of Israel. It blows my mind when when Christians say, oh, I can handle it, don't worry. I can do it. They live one way at church and another way at home. It's easy to read this list and think, you know what, Pastor? I, I knew someone who fit that description. You, you know, it's easy for us to look at our lives and all our friends and say, you know, I used to know someone like that. He was a real jerk or she was a real jerk. Or I've read about people like that in the church. But I think Paul wanted Timothy and us to not point our fingers at others My grandmother used to say in Spanish, when you point this finger, there are three others pointing back at you. She would always say, Look at the three that are pointing back at you. And I think Paul wanted Timothy and us to do some personal soul searching as we read this list and ask the eternal question of ourselves. Here's the question Lord, is it me? Could I be drifting into holding to a form of godliness, but denying its power to transform my heart on a daily basis? And it's not like you wake up one morning like Lot and decide, you know, Lot didn't, like I said, he didn't wake up one morning and say, I don't love Jehovah. He just was setting on a path. And it's not like you wake up in the morning and say, I'm not going to pray today, and, or I'm not going to read my Bible, or I don't trust God. But what happens is you get caught up in the lifestyle. You get caught up in your everyday things. Did you know it takes 30 days to create a habit? And if you do something for 30 days continually, it'll create a habit. And so many times, we have our routines, don't we? We set the coffee to go off at a certain time, and we set the alarm to go off, and Got to have the kids at the bus stop at a certain time, and I got to check into work and clock in at this time, and I'm off on that time, and I'm texting my wife, and, baby, you pick up the the dry cleaning, and I'll I'll get some sandwiches to bring home, and everything's on a time clock, and it's not like you meant to, to walk away from God. It's not like you meant to not pray. It's not like you meant to not fast. It's that one day you find yourself caught up in the lifestyle of Sodom and Gomorrah, Caught up in the lifestyle of America. And when the Bible talks about the apostate church, it's not talking about a church that just shakes their fist at God and walks away. It talks about a church that just grows cold over time. Because just before Jesus comes again, many in the church will grow cold in their relationship with God, and it's not like they decided to walk away from him. In their hearts, they say, oh, yeah, yeah, I love him. I do. And that's why this shutdown to this pastor is so heartbreaking. Because there are many people that they say, well, we'll just watch online. And I thank God, please don't get me wrong. I thank God for the online service. And for those of you that are watching me online, I thank God if there's a medical thing in your family, uh, possibly you're worried about your immune system, and you you, you say, well, I'm going to watch him. Uh, That's wonderful. I'm glad you're there, and I pray that you stay plugged in. It's going to be more difficult for you to stay plugged in because you don't have the infrastructure of the church with you in your living room. It's kind of like people who buy a home gym and they say, we're going to work out from home. Really? I'm going to get a treadmill, baby. I'm going to run every day. Oh, that's awesome. And you maybe you do it for once or twice, maybe three weeks, and then pretty soon, since you don't have the infrastructure, you don't have people cheering you on. That's just human nature. Pretty soon, you're just throwing your clothes over it. And now you can't even see it because it's just a big old clothes hanger in the middle of your room. Amen? You had good intentions, but when you don't have that infrastructure, and again, I thank God for the online church. I thank God for those that are watching online, and listen, it's going to be more difficult for you if you are online always watching because you don't have the infrastructure. You're going to have to work that much harder to stay plugged in as we are racing towards end times. I'm just telling you the truth, friends. Because just before Jesus comes again, many in the church will grow cold in their relationship with God. The the storms will be so great. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew seven and twenty one, follow as I read, It says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you evildoers. In another passage, he says, you workers of iniquity or secret sin. Depart from me, you evildoers. Wow. And if you're anything like me, we could see from this scripture above that these were obviously people who were doing the work of God. It says they prophesied in God's name. They cast out demons in God's name. They did many wonderful works in God's name. And if you're anything like me, you say, wait, 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 that doesn't make sense. If they're really not walking with God, then how is it that they are doing so many miracles? They're casting out demons and, and they're prophesying and they're healing people. If they're not walking with God, Pastor, how is it that they can do those things? Well, let me explain to you how you find the answer in Isaiah. For the prophet Isaiah, he answers that question for us in Isaiah 55 verse 10. He looks and he said, "Listen to this." He explains it to us. Verse 10: As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It'll not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. In other words, the power for miracles is in the word of God. Those people, even though they're not walking with God, they are nothing more than a conduit that the Holy Spirit flows through. It's God's word. It's God's power. It's God's anointing. It shows all the more that it's not man, but the power of God that's flowing through man. However, we know from Scripture that entering God's kingdom is not just about being religious or even the works they do, but a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So there will be people in the last days that will do miracles. They'll say, Lord, didn't we do all these things? And he'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. Workers of iniquity. That's very interesting, workers of iniquity, because iniquity is secret sin. See, transgressions are open rebellions against God. It's what you do, and you do it because you like it, even though you know it's wrong, but you like it. And then you try to blame it on your personality. Well, that's just the way the men of our family are. We just that way. Boys will be boys. No, it's your sin. You're transgressing the law of God. You know you're not to be looking at those women. You know you're not to be watching pornography. You know you're not, but you're transgressing the law of God, and you get mad at your wife because she says something, and you say, well, boys will be boys. But that's a transgression. A perfect example is David, who should have been off dealing with the things that kings do, but he has reached a point in his life that he is comfortable, there are no more giants to slay, that Goliath is gone, he's flourishing in his life, he's having a midlife crisis. And he's up on his roof, and he's kicking it, and he's laying down. He should have been off fighting battles, and he looks off in the distance, and he sees a hot woman taking a bath, and he says, Who is that hot tomato? Who is that babe? And he goes to his servant and says, Who is that woman? And they say, That is Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. In other words, she's married. She's off limits. And David says, Really? Bring her to me. He transgresses the law of God. He's a typology of the last day's church. He should have been off fighting battles, doing what he's supposed to do, but he was luxuriating in his success. And the church will look and say, look, we've got mega churches. Look, we've got big places. Depart from me. And don't you know there wasn't a person in that palace that didn't realize the king of Israel, the giant slayer, the psalmist of Israel, was having an affair with a married woman? He transgresses the law of God. Problem is, transgressions always surface. And now you've got to cover yourself. Or you repent. David did not repent. He covers himself, and he concocts this unbelievable plan to have her husband go and lay with her so that He can then say, well, look, it's his child, and he transgressed. But listen, you can't get away from God. And suddenly he finds out that she's pregnant, and in secret he concocts a plan to have her husband killed, the iniquity. The prophet Isaiah said he was bruised for our transgressions. The things that people see you do on a daily basis And you do it anyway because you like it. Jesus was bruised for those things, but he was crushed. But your secret sin, the chastisement that brought us our peace was laid upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. So the secret sin is what Jesus is going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. We never came into intimacy together. Because there's more than just doing miracles. It's that You've got to have a relationship with God. As a result of that relationship throughout the history of the church, the church has been known as being sanctified or separated from the world. She did not look like the world. We did not act like the world. We did not talk like the world. And I'm not just speaking about the way we dress. Though the way we dress can really cause many people to stumble. You don't have to look like you spent a week in a bottle of bleach and and sackcloth and ashes and and walk around the city. No, no, no. But You have to look at yourself and say, Lord, is this okay for a daughter of heaven to begin to walk around in? I I am royalty. I carry myself that way. And so it is with the men. This is why people were drawn to the church in the first place. We were different. I want you to ask yourself, is the church today different from the world? And this is why people were drawn to us today. Many claim to be Christians. Many claim to be Christians, and yet their actions or their things they support contradict everything they say. The things they support politically, the things they support in in the culture contradicts everything they say. They claim to be born again. They claim to be children of God. But the Bible says, you shall know them by their fruit. And the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. People always ask me, Pastor, how can I know if I'm growing in the Lord? I mean, I've been saved for a long time, and so what is the barometer from God? Has God given us a barometer or a measurement stick? Yes, he has. Love, joy, peace, patience, courteous, gentleness, temperance, self-control. God gives us a list, and we simply have to Honestly, compare ourselves in our prayer closet to this list. In my life, Lord, am I growing in these areas of love, joy, peace, patience, courteous, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness? Or is there an area of my life, Lord, that I'm falling short? This is how you know if you're growing in the Lord. Lord, lead me that I don't stumble in these areas. How many today are really walking in the fruit of the Spirit? Many today who claim to be Christians are calling good evil and evil good. And I don't mean to get political, but there are many. I don't understand how Christians can support political things that are not biblically standard and given from God. I just don't understand it. There are some things that are just clear. God says we are to protect the womb of the child, mother. It is supposed to be the safest place. Life begins at conception. And yet there are many Christians that, they say, well, it's okay. It's no big deal. Abortion's okay. I'm sorry, friend. According to scripture, it's not okay. Truth is still Truth. And these are workers of iniquity. Jesus spoke about those that say to that many claim to be Christians they are calling good evil and evil good. The Bible says they are always learning but never able to come to the knowledge of truth. You say, well, wait a second. What does that mean? Always learning but never able to come to the knowledge of truth. What truth? Well, the truth that we cannot go on claiming to be a Christian and live a double life. That's the truth he's talking about. See, Jesus said only those who do the will of his Father, not just say it, will enter the kingdom of God. The reality is your double life mocks God. It mocks God. It allows unbelievers to mock, ignore, or totally reject God's word because they see how we live. They see how we act. And how we live will directly affect how people feel about God and his written word, no matter your station in life. And isn't it amazing how people on your job, they know you're saved. And the moment you blow it, they'll say, hey, 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 uh, don't you go to that church? Then why did you just say what you said? Our first reaction is to try to cover our tracks. Well, you know, I'm sorry. Just just own up to it. You know what? You caught me. I blew it. I blew it. And I ask your forgiveness because then I'm going to ask God to forgive me. Because Christian men and women who are not what they ought to be will give people reason to blaspheme God's word. Listen, friends, the world doesn't judge us by our theology. It judges us by our behavior. Oh, hear that again. The world does not judge us by our theology. The world judges us by our behavior. Comedian Bill Maher, he said this, and I very seldom quote Bill Maher because he very seldom has anything worth quoting. But here's what he said. Jesus, as a philosopher, is wonderful. There's no greater role model, in my view, than Jesus Christ. It's just a shame that most of the people who follow him and call themselves Christians act nothing like him. Because if unbelievers see that our lives are truly transformed, separated, and distinct from the world, they might conclude that the Scripture is true and powerful and life-changing. See, the credibility of Christians or the credibility of the gospel is inseparably linked to how you live. And that is why it's so devastating when well-known pastors or Christians or leaders are caught in some gross sin or immorality. How do you think people react when they see Christians that are falling and pastors that are having affairs and churches that are full of hypocrisy? They laugh at us. thus short-circuiting any chance we have to lead them to Christ. It's vital to the credibility of the faith and the effectiveness of our personal witness and preaching. That's ultimately what's at stake in the way you live your life. It's the credibility of God's word. When you honor God and live a godly life, you honor his word. It makes serving God attractive. I want you to understand, when you leave here tonight, your ultimate goal is to walk with God and make serving God look attractive. That's our responsibility as Christians. Paul told Titus, another associate pastor, that they will adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in every respect. Adorn is from the Greek word kosimeo and refers to making something beautiful. Listen now. How will we ever make the good news about God a Savior beautiful in every respect if we don't look like we've been saved? When we live in obedience to God, people look at us and go, oh, that's how you treat your wife in the middle of a pandemic. Oh, that's how you treat your husband. Listen, gang, whoever the president is, after we get this thing all taken care of, I will pray for that president. Whether it's Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, I will honor that office. Because Romans tells us that we are to honor those that are in authority above us. I will pray for them just like I pray for Trump. I will pray for them just like I pray for Pence because I believe that God is ultimately in charge. I believe that with all my heart. And someone told me the other day, yes, you can clap your hands for that, yes. Someone told me the other day, you you mean you're going to pray for Biden and Harris? and, And don't you believe, listen, just because I pray for them does not mean I agree with everything they do. I still have a biblical worldview. But I would be an idiot, it would be asinine not to ask the God of heaven to intervene into that office and open their eyes that God might be glorified. And that is our job as the church. And when those around us see us helping rather than exploiting, when they hear us talking with purity instead of profanity, when they observe us speaking truthfully rather than deceitfully, our example will set a rebuke of selflessness. It sets an example already. And they say, oh, that's how you operate. That's how you live. Unfortunately, many Christians are barely able to keep their own spiritual and moral house in order. And that's why it's so imperative and so important that we learn what the Bible actually says. That's why you've got to be in a small group on Wednesday night. You've got to be in, in, that, in that small group environment to have people around you that are uplifting you and sharing with you so that you can grow stronger. Making salvation attractive as our highest calling. When we make salvation beautiful, we make God attractive. We make God attractive. Listen, to convince a man God can save him, I need to show him a man God has saved. To convince a man that God can give hope, I need to show him a man that God has given hope. To convince a man that God can give peace, joy, and love, I need to show him a family that is running after peace, joy, and love. To convince a man that God can give him complete and total and utter satisfaction with the wife of his youth. And I don't have to look at those other things to stimulate me. I'm completely satisfied with the wife of my youth. Then I have to show them a man who honors his wife, who cherishes his wife, who lifts her up, who honors her in every situation. And when the world sees people who are holy, righteous, and peaceful, joyful, and fulfilled, they will see the evidence of God's transforming power. And they'll say, wow, that's attractive. I need that. At stake is the eternal destiny of millions of lost people. They may be in your home, right down the street. It's amazing how many are watching you, and you don't even realize it. Okay, Randy, that's a tall order, bro. So how do I do it? It's imperative that we come to the altar and ask the Holy Spirit to empower us to be Philippians 2.15 Christians. I want you to put that on the screen, Philippians 2.15. Blameless and innocent children of God, above reproach. I love that. Holy Spirit, help me to be a blameless and innocent child of God, above reproach. Daniel was a man above reproach in Babylon. Babylon. They called him Daniel, the beloved. When you study the life of Daniel, it's amazing how the people in Babylon fell in love with Daniel, and he never once compromised who he was in God. They call him Daniel, the beloved. In fact, on the night that he's thrown into the lion's den, the king realized that he was duped by the, by the leaders there in he, all night long, the king is up praying for Daniel. He's not even saved. He's not even a, a, a Christian or a, a God-fearing man. And all day long, he's praying to Daniel's God to keep him safe. Listen, when you really walk with God, God will have people praying for you that don't even believe in God. And that next morning, he goes and he says, Daniel, did the God in whom you serve protect you? Daniel, the beloved, above reproach, Blameless and innocent children of God above reproach. Listen now, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, God is able through the power of the Holy Spirit to make you above reproach in a perverse and crooked generation. Listen, are we not living in a perverse and crooked generation? That means God has the ability, through the power of the Holy Spirit, if you will give in to him, make room for a miracle like we talked about this morning, say, Lord, I don't want a visitation, I want a habitation. As for me and my house, we will serve you. God can lift you up, and he can cause you to be above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Read the rest, among whom you appear as light in the world. You are lights in the world. Because in the last days, there'll be a great falling away. And sadly, one of the sure signs that we're living in the last days will be the condition of the church. And that breaks my heart. Now with that as our focus, let's go back to the passage in 2 Timothy 3 and review these aspects again, this time with an eye to the church rather than the world as a subject of Paul's writing. And let me wrap this all up for you. Difficult times. Christians are the most persecuted people group in the world, and even in America right now. I told you this morning that I was watching Jimmy Kimmel, and he was making fun of the religious right. I said, be careful. Lovers of self, unfortunately, most Christians now look like the world, putting themselves and their families before others. Lovers of money, as Christians look more like the world, they also act like the world. Ask them to tithe and trust God with their finances, and suddenly, la, 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 can't hear you. Can't trust you. Boasters, arrogant revilers. Just check out the social media. It blows my mind. I'll, I'll go on social media and on Facebook. How many Christians in this last election became bitter towards another Christian? Because you said this or you did that. It was almost as if we were divided the sheeps and the goats. Boasters, arrogant, revilers, just check out the social media of many Christians, especially in the political season. How about disobedience to parents? It's scary that most Christians raise their children using the wisdom of the world rather than using the wisdom of the Bible. And they'll listen to Dr. Phil, who's not even a real doctor, and they'll listen to Oprah, and who's crazy. The world has gotten so open-minded, their brains have fallen out. And they'll listen to Oprah, and they'll listen to Dr. Phil, and, and they'll, you know, oh, they're so smart. No, they're idiots. Don't, ba- don't raise your children based on the latest, hottest. No, base it on the unfathomable, unchangeable Word of God. Every word out of that book is the Word of God. Base your children and your family on the written Word of God. Develop a biblical worldview in your home. If you believe that, someone shout amen. Irreconcilable, malicious gossips. Irreconcilable basically is easily offended. (laughs) You offend me. I don't like the way you preach. You offend me. So I'm just going to go to the church down the street. See ya. I can say that because I'm an evangelist. Pastor Doug wants to say that, but he can't say that. Actually, Pastor Doug wants to say, don't let the door hit you with the good Lord split you. But he can't say that. But easily offended. The music was too loud. The nursery wasn't nice. Didn't like the lighting. There was weeds in the parking lot. I actually had heard a lady. She was complaining one day. She didn't know I was listening, but she was complaining to the pastor. When I pulled in in my Mercedes, there was weeds in the parking lot. I see, and I told him later, this is why God's called me to be an evangelist and not a pastor. Because (laughs) I would have looked at her and said, Oh, praise God. I've been praying for someone to notice that When Can you pull them? I've been asking God to send somebody, and you noticed. Without self control, ask a Christian to fast for a day, and dear Lord, it's like, can't do that. Brutal haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited. Christians hate those who disagree with them, don't we? If you don't agree with me, I'll just go down the street. Most Christians hate the idea of discipline, humility, meekness, and sacrifice. All good things. Many are thoughtless. Most are proud. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of good. How many Christians would rather go to a three-hour church? or how many, Let me put it this way. How many Christians would rather go to a three-hour prayer meeting or go and watch the Cowboys play football? Exactly. Go, Chiefs. How about holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power? Most Christians more resemble the Pharisees of Jesus' time than they resemble Jesus. We get another look at the end-time church in Second Thessalonians, It says, let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first. Sadly, before Jesus comes, there will be an apostate church. I just don't want to be a part of it. The apostasy is going to come to the church. Apostasy means to abandon or renounce the beliefs of the faith. John Wesley said, if the Methodist movement is ever to cease to exist, it'll be at the hands of her pastors, her professors, and her teachers who no longer practice her doctrines or apply her principles. We must remove ourselves from these people or die by our own weight. Two years ago, in fact last year, the Methodist movement in America was voting on putting homosexuals behind the pulpit. And if it wasn't for the African contingent that came from Africa and turned the tide, the Methodist movement in America would right now have homosexual pastors leading the majority of their churches. Apostate. Friend, as a Christian, dare I say a true Christian? You are to be a great contrast in a dark world. Anchored in Jesus Christ, you are immovable, steadfast, and strong. Your eyes are to be fixed on the word of God, a beacon that stands out like a lamp shining in a dark place. 2 Peter 1.19 And as we move toward that light, God changes your life by the power of the Holy Spirit and the message you proclaim and the life you live guarantees that you will stand out in this present culture. The question is, like we said this morning, are you willing to cry out to God? Are we in end times? Does the church look like 2 Timothy chapter 3? Well, that's the question of the hour. In some cases, yes, it seems to be headed more and more that way. The more important question is this right here. I want you to come to the piano, Pastor. Not are we living in the end times. That's not the important question. No, the important question for those of you that are watching online and those that are watching me tonight, the more important question is, what will you do with the times you are living in? Because these are the last days and the last times for you and me. These are our last days. We don't get any more time. After 70, 80 years or so, we will stand before the Lord, barring a cancer or a sickness that you're taking early or a traffic accident. And if we think the church today proves we are living in the end times, then how will you conduct yourself today? Will you reach out to a lost person to share the gospel before it's too late? Will you live your life that makes the gospel attractive? Not holier than thou and hypocritical. We've all met people like that. They say they're Christians and they walk around with their nose in the air and I'm better than you. No, that's not what we're talking about. Will you love people? Will you love them? Right where they are. I could preach a whole series of messages on how the Holy Spirit meets you right where you are. You might not be at a place that someone else is. You may be further along down the road with love, joy, peace, patience, courteous, long-suffering, gentleness, self-control. But will you love them, so it makes the gospel so attractive, they go, you know what, There's, there's something about you. I want to brag on this church a little because someone stopped me today and they said, you know, Randy, we love it when you come and we were talking and here's what they said. It so impressed me. They said, I've never found a church more loving than this church. I thought, wow. I've never found a church that just welcomed me so much like this church. That's a direct reflection of your pastor and his family. So the question then becomes, if every Christian did these things, the church would look completely different. And friend, we might not be able to change the church in a day, but we can change ourselves tonight. Let's live biblical Christian lives as we watch and wait for his return. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to advance us in love, joy, peace. I want the fruits of the Spirit. It's amazing how so many of us want the gifts of the Spirit because we want to be put up front. But, Lord, I want the fruit of the Spirit. I want somebody to look and say, man, you know what? This. How do you do it? How do you do it? In every Christian home, let's welcome the presence of the Holy Spirit. Let's make room for a miracle. You have been listening to CT Church in San Antonio, Texas. This recording was presented in the context of our Sunday service. For more information, please visit us at ctagsa.com, connect with us on Facebook, or call us at 210-657-3578.